What's happening, financial coaches? It's Pete here. I want to talk to you today about something that's going to sound pretty serious, but I bring it up in a reluctant way because with my team of financial coaches, we did official training on this. We had some procedures. We had some qualifiers of dealing with people that we thought were suicide risks or suicidal potentially um, or would do great harm to themselves in some way. Maybe not killing themselves, but maybe hurting themselves, maybe um, hurting other people. But um, specifically, I think we think about this as suicide. Someone who might come in and say, listen, you know, they go over their finances and they're just in a really bad spot and maybe they have um, emotional issues, psychological issues on top of that, but they, you know, as far as we can tell, want to kill themselves, right? And I will tell you that in nine or 10 years of me doing financial coaching now, I have never come across what I think is a legitimate suicide risk. I've come across, as I mentioned in my other video, that I have worked with people who are very emotional about this, who are um, very melancholy, uh, almost depressed. But in terms of people that I thought were true suicide risk, I haven't come across it. So knock on wood, I am really happy about that because I think there can be a lot of potential overlap. But I think for most people, you probably won't come across it. So that's why I kind of bring this up hesitantly because I think it's one of those things that you'll think about. You'll start having um, crazy uh, uh, ideas about what you might come across. You might be looking for this type of risk in sessions that it's not there. And so I don't want you to always be on your toes and paranoid about it either, right? And I will say that we did a full day training with coaches on this, and I'm just going to break this down into a, a couple minutes here. I am not going to give you the full framework of that because I don't think it's necessary. You can come up with any, whatever procedure you want for this, but here's basically kind of the, 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 the steps that we would go through if we had this issue, right? And like I said, hopefully you'll never need it, and I really truly think that if you're watching this, you probably never will, but I'd rather have uh, planted the seeds some ideas of what you can do in this kind of situation if it ever does come up. So first of all, you know, and I'm not even sure what the situation would be if it comes up, but, you know, people can have a catastrophic loss, you know, lose people in their family, be left in a terrible financial situation, and maybe they, you know, they don't have someone to rely on or to uh, go to for comfort in this situation or financial comfort. Um, I have worked with people, I'll tell you what, I've worked with people who have been widowed or widowers of a lost loved one without kids, without life insurance, with a lot of uh, debt, with a lot of mortgage left. Um, I've had it where people discovered there was more debt than they thought after a loved one died. And so, um, and not only that, but I have worked with uh, people who, unfortunately, her husband perished in an accident at work. And what she had found out is that he had a spending problem and he had drained the retirement accounts uh, unbeknownst to her. So what she thought was there in terms of at least some retirement money was not only gone, but that he had opened up credit cards in her name and had a massive amount of credit card debt that she never even knew. So it was a double whammy. She loses him, loses the income, doesn't have life insurance, doesn't have the assets that she thought she had, and now has a bunch of credit card debt. And because you know she was going to pursue some legal action on this, but because the credit cards were open with her, unfortunately, she did sign as um, for these because she didn't fully understand what was going on, but she was going to try to seek some legal satisfaction on this um, because even though he passed away, 
the debt is in her name, so the debt doesn't go away. So ironically, I believe if the credit cards had been in his name, potentially there would have been a way out of it because that's his debt, and now he's no longer around because it's in her name. So kind of double, triple whammy. And I remember her being very upset about this. I mean, very, very upset. But even in that case, you know, I wouldn't say it was suicidal because we can, she never gave any of those kind of um, indications. But you know, as far as I can tell, you could come across some of these. So I don't mean to digress too much on that. I don't think it's a situation that'll come up, but hopefully, hopefully if he does, this will help. So first of all, the first criteria is, is a suicide threat real? There are a lot of things that people will say, you know, and I, I've even heard some of these like, oh, maybe I should just off myself or I'd be better off dead or I'd be better off if my husband died. Right. Because, you know, you might have a million dollars in life insurance and a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt. You know, it's one of those things that people will kind of say things off the cuff or, um, you know, ingest, right? And I don't think that we should be so on edge about this that anytime something like that comes up, you immediately rush to, is this real? Did Do you really mean to kill your husband? Because in most cases, it's just ingest, right? So you really need to kind of have a good feeling for if your client is saying things like, oh, I should just kill, kill the guy, you know, and get the life insurance too. Um, yeah, I just, I wish I were dead, you know, or whatever the, the the phraseology might be. So first thing, is it real or is it just something that they're saying? Two, can they do it? Now, this is where I've had some struggles with people because uh, some people have said, well, we want to verify that they can do it. You know, hey, you said you wanted to shoot yourself. Do you have a gun in the house? I think that's maybe fair, you know, um, but in this case, I don't necessarily necessarily want to go down the, the rabbit hole of walking them through how to do it, right? If a person wants to kill themselves, and even if they mention that they want to shoot themselves, and they don't have a gun, I still think that a person who runs this risk is, can find a way to kill themselves. I mean, um, anyone can probably find the equipment to hang themselves or to uh, go to an overpass and jump off or something like that. So just because they don't necessarily have the tools to do it in the way that they said they were explicitly going to do it uh, doesn't mean they can't. And nor do I think that just because they have it means they'll do it. So can they do it? I mean, um, I this is where I think you, you want to read into like, you know, or do they have the willpower to do it? I mean, is this something that you think is a real issue? Do Have they ever given any indication that they've thought about this before or you know, have you noticed mood swings or emotional swings, those types of things? Um, but sometimes in some process, people ask, like, do you have the means? And I, I'm not sure that I would go that route, because I think if, if I have a legitimate concern that someone's going to do harm to themselves, that's probably the only criteria I would need to kind of go through all of the steps, right? But if they do have it, you know, certainly if they say they're going to kill themselves and they are, so they said, listen, I've got the gun right here then I would take those things very seriously. Now, I should have said this at the very beginning. I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I am not someone who is um, legally empowered to give you advice on this. I'm just telling you what my process would be. And I think it's just something that you should be aware of. But certainly, you know, if you are looking for formal procedures on how to handle these types of risks, I would go to professionals in the space. Okay. And then I'm also going to talk about basically, um, I think the overriding idea here is you've got to get professionals that can handle this type of 
situation because this is not, I mean, and I've talked about not getting tax advice or investment advice and stuff. You know, this is so far out of the realm of what you should be dealing with. This is a clear cut example of you need to get this handed off to the right people. Okay. So this is where we get into this process. So the third step for me is um, see if you can find information or gather information on someone that is a close contact for them. You know, someone that might be a friend or a family member, you know, and these are things I'd ask, listen, have you talked about this with anyone? Does anyone know that you, you know, are, you know, have, have mentioned this, you know, do you have any family around, you know, because basically what I am tr would try to do at this point is try to get any information of someone who might have, you know, knowledge of where they live, or, you know, if this is something that, you know, they need medication for, or, um, you know, it might be people that know that they're at risk, but they just haven't been in touch. And so maybe it's parents or children or aunts and uncles or uh, siblings or just a neighbor or a friend, right? So if you can get that information, say, listen, is there someone you talk to? And what is their name? And, you know, can I have their phone number? And, you know, or do they live around you or whatever? You know, there might be obvious ways of getting their information, but there also might be more some subtle ways where they don't think, hey, or you're not going to reach out to them, are you? You know, those types of things too. And then the next thing, you know, and I would just try to do that to see if I could get a, 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 an emergency contact for them. But the next thing is, you know, getting this handed off as quickly as possible. And hopefully, if you think that there's a real risk between that first step of identifying is this real to the point where you're getting this handed off to a professional, um, hopefully it should just be minutes. I mean, that's that's kind of my hope. So I, I don't want to obsess about what all the steps are and am I following correctly here? Because if you think there's a real risk, we need to get this to someone who can do something about it. And that's probably not you. You know, if you're sitting there with someone face to face, that might be, hey, maybe I'll just keep you here in my office until, you know, I can get someone here to help you. But in a lot of cases, if you're doing something over the phone or the web, you know, one, you might not even know where they live. I mean, maybe you don't collect their home address when you uh, work with them, you know, so uh, these types of things are going to be important to to collect on your intake if you if you need it. But basically, what I would be doing right now is looking up in their town, the phone number for emergency services for the police department or the fire department or the 911 or emergency services. And um, do not dial 911 on your own phone, because that's going to go as far as I know, get routed to the nearest 911 center for you. What you need to do is you need to often get online based on their phone number, most likely their address because their phone number, as my phone number is, it's still an area code of where I grew up um, as opposed to where I'm living now. So uh, the address can be the most reliable way and see if you can find the police department. And I wouldn't obsess about, is this the right place? You know, is the police department the right place to call? Fire department the right place to call? Emergency services, whatever. I would just call, you know, if you, police is probably a, a good number to call, call them. If you need to put the person on hold, then you need to do that. If you can IM someone or um, uh, SMS someone, text message someone else to help support you in this so that you don't have to hang up on them, even better. But for a lot of independent people, you might not have that opportunity, but maybe you have a spouse or, or someone um, at your home office or at your office or a coworker or something like that that can help you out on it too, great. And I would stay on the line with them as long as possible. Um, and basically, if you do call the police, you can say, hey, I'm working with this person. They've, they said that they were going to commit suicide. I'm asking for a well-being check. You know, they will often send someone by and knock on their door and check in on them. Uh, this would be a good time to try to get, an, uh, you know, their friend to contact them as well. But if the police do a well-being check and they realize that they are a danger, they will have their own processes for that. They will probably look for the emergency contact information in that person's phone, those types of things. And I know this may seem like kind of extreme, but it's one of those things where 
if someone is a risk, you know, that is not really, if you think there's a legitimate risk, that's not really your choice at that point to say, well, I don't know that it's a risk risk, or I don't know that it's a big enough risk or that they're, they'll really do it. But if you really think that there's a risk of doing this, you need to get someone else in there that is maybe licensed, certified, a professional in this area to make a judgment call, because that is not something that's on the on on the plate and within the capabilities of the, the typical financial coach here. Um, the other thing I would say is that probably engaging with them in financial coaching is probably not a priority until they get the rest of their concerns sorted out, right? Get kind of their um, selves into a good, solid mental place before they continue on. Um, they just might not be a good client for you, especially if they have deeper issues. And probably what I would say is that they probably need to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And if, uh, if they are a real risk and the police or the fire department or emergency services uh, determines that, they may have some procedures of getting them connected with a, a health professional. Um, so I would not expect you to continue the financial coaching relationship with them. Um, but if they successfully go through and get the help they need on some of those other things, at that point, maybe. But listen, I, I think the one thing here that I want to stress is that this is out of our wheelhouse, right? And I don't even want us to try to think, hey, I'm just good with people. This is not a place to um, experiment around with this, not when it comes to someone's health, well-being, or their life. And so we just need to be aware enough that if this comes up, we can do a handoff and have that procedure to do that and get people their help. Um, if it's an overreaction, so be it. Um, we can eat that frog and deal with that and apologize and, and great. And if everyone's safe, um, it's better to be in that place than to find out that you had a client that had some indications of having problems and we kind of ignored them and, and things took a turn for the worse. So Again, I've never had it come up. I don't anticipate it ever coming up, but hopefully maybe just understanding some of these steps to try to recognize it when it happens, immediately go into the mode to determine if this is real and if it's something that um, is possible that we start reaching out to the professionals to get these people some help. So that's it. Hopefully that helps and hopefully you never have to use it. See you later.